very good afternoon to you, our cherished and descending listeners. It's another beautiful and blessed Wednesday, and we here at Joy Business are happy to bring you another exciting edition of your favorite business development program on Radio Masterclass. Masterclass is powered by Joy Business and brought to us by Goyle. Goyle Good Energy, Goyle Yenara Yedia. Masterclass today is also brought to us by GCB. GCB, your bank for life. My name, as always, is Yabanafo, and I'm excited to bring you today's edition of Masterclass. In the last couple of weeks here on the show, we've been doing what we call the Startup Reality Dialogue Series. Essentially, what that is, is that we go out into the field and find out the realities of businessmen and entrepreneurs in today's world. Like I always say here on the show, sometimes we share principles of, of business theory, of business, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, things that you would otherwise have studied or paid for to learn in a classroom. But we bring it to you here free on Masterclass Pro Bono, if you like. But after having done that, we're also interested in your business because if your business does well, Ghana does well, and we all do well. And therefore, we we like to come to you every now and again and find out, after having learned all the theories, after having applied all the principles, after having done all that the situation requires, how do you stand? How do you manage your business? How do you deal with the pressures? Getting to the end of the month, the bank is going to call. Your repayments are falling due. Your insurance payments are falling due. Your staff expect to be paid. You've got sales made out, but it's on credit and people are not paying up. How do you manage the realities of running, setting up a business in Ghana and running it? The other reason why we share these stories also is that sometimes in sharing the stories, it also serves to motivate the rest of us. Have you noticed how sometimes when you go for some of these sessions on forums on counseling and you find out that someone else is going through the same problem you're going through, at some point in your conversation, you go like, aha. So we're looking for that aha moment in this conversation where you say, I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one, you know, who's going through this pain. If you're looking to quit, you're looking to stop at some point. We're going to be listening to stories here on the Startup Related Dialogue series to help you to know that you're not alone in your fight. And um, today we have a guest. I'll be introducing him shortly. We've had other guests here on the show. Also, we've had Lloyd Kusi from Penta Foods. He shared his story with us. Um, he essentially is an entrepreneur in Ghana and produces yogurt on the go. We've also had here on the show Kojo Sheldon. Last week, he also spent um, some time here with us. And uh, he also talked to us. He's a social media influencer. Um, before him also, we had Sewa Jenfi Duku, who is also the CEO or the founder of Chop Shop. And she also shared her stories with us. I was actually going to read out to you the resume of my guest this afternoon, but I'll let his story tell us who he is. He's a young Ghanaian entrepreneur, started his own business, went through the challenges that every young business goes through, and he's a CEO and founder of a company called Zako. Zako, you probably have heard about it or have not. But essentially, just to give you an insight into what they do, he processes coconut waste to produce energy for households and for businesses. That's impressive. That speaks to sustainability. That speaks to energy efficiency. That speaks to where the world is going. And to you know, find out that a young Ghanaian who's starting out business in all the, with all the uncertainties that come with it ventures into such a high-impact area, it's, it's commendable. Um, my guest for the show today is Sule Amin Abubakar. Sule, you're welcome to today's conversation. Thank you, thank you so I'm much. I'm already excited. That. You can tell the excitement in my voice. I was going to read your resume. Very impressive. I mean, Sule is unassuming, but he has a, a repertoire of experience and education as well. I'm sure you're going to tell us. So maybe in a few seconds, tell my listeners who you are, what you've done educationally, your background, where you've come from. Just sort of set the foundation, if you like, for our conversation going okay. forward. Okay. Yes. Um, 
my name, as you just rightly mentioned, um, Sule Amin Abubakar, um, born and raised in Fadama. Spent most of my years in Sunyani, okay. the Alpha region then. Um, back to Accra, went to University for Development Studies, mm. uh, UDS, yeah, right? UDS, WA right. campus, and then back home in Accra, did national service, and then that's where real life started. <laughs> so <laughs> I think after national, whilst even doing the national service, I started reading LLB mm. to be a lawyer. And I think in between, I was doing um, a lot of research. Listen, again, whilst doing your national <coughs> service, you started reading yeah, LLB. LLB to become a lawyer. Yeah. And I always like to pause and hit on the learning points. Yeah. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, I finished school, I don't have a job, I don't have anything to do. The onset of COVID was one of those catalysts which got a lot of young Ghanaians to start doing things for themselves. Kudos to those who started. If you haven't started, let's start now. Let's do something. While he was doing national service, he started studying for his LLB. What yeah. are you doing while you are waiting to get that job? Let's put the time to use. Double effort doesn't spoil anything. Let's continue. Okay. So... Um, I really enjoyed reading law because it was one of the most challenging mm. things I'd ever undertaken. It's so totally like a world on its own. Reading <laughs> cases, uh, case studies. Tell me about case, it. Uh, Good afternoon <laughs> to all my lawyer friends. Yeah. I have tried many times to do law, but... Yeah, a lot of my mates are now already passed the bar and they're already practicing. But yes. here I am still selling charcoal. And it's it's been an interesting journey for me because... Um, what I am doing now is totally different from whatever I really wanted to be. Mm. Um, growing up, yes, I grew up with my grandma and she was into petty trading. Um, I really got a lot of inspiration from her at the time because um, this is someone with very little formal education, but was doing so much, um, what do you call it, petty trading such that you had a lot of educated people like soldiers, please, that would come even borrow money from her mm -hmm. and even buy things from her on credit. So I grew up seeing the kind of freedom that comes with running your own thing, mm -hmm. especially financially, since, I mean, she doesn't have a degree, but people with degree will come borrow things from her. Mm -hmm. And it comes with so much freedom. So I fell for that freedom, but it really wasn't something I honestly wanted to let do. me ask you this quickly yeah. when you were in school growing up yeah formative years and all of that yeah what was your ambition what did you want to become <laughs> i always wanted to be a dj i always wanted to be a dj but besides being a dj like profession wise i actually wanted to be like but um, yeah, it is, it is a, it's a I still DJ, honestly. Like, I still now looking do. at you somewhere. I mean, I still <laughs> DJ. I had two hours in my house before coming here. Just, so you do it? I still do it. I still do it. I, I love to DJ. It's especially in the kind of situation or business or environment I'm in now. Mm. DJing is actually the best. Um, I'm not someone who goes out a lot. So I don't really have a lot of social activities that I do. But once... I have my own turntable. I just turn them on and then just have fun apart with Apart from DJing, what did you want to do? So apart from DJing, I wanted to be like a UN diplomat. I loved watching, growing up and watching these Hotel Rwanda movies. And then you see these guys with UNDP or Red Cross, like they're the real heroes coming to save the day. So I always wanted to be a development guy. And that's actually what influenced my decision to go to UDS to read development studies. So even though I was born and raised in Accra in Sunyani, it was the first time I, I actually opted mm -hmm. to go somewhere I'd never been. That was in the northern regions then, just to study development studies so I could work in the UN. 
So it's what I always aspire to be, but always a DJ on the side. I, but you have had some, based on the work that you've done, yeah. and I, I read this up in your resume, and yeah. I'm sure we'll get there, you tell us a yeah. bit more yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. But you have had some kind of interface with the United Nations anyway, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, some way. So in, in some way, you've sort of achieved what you wanted to do. You Definitely. wanted to help people. You wanted to come in as a knight in shining armor, riding on yeah. a big horse yeah. and, and with a big sword and save lives. Definitely. But what you're doing is sustainability. Yeah. So you're saving lives. Yeah. So would you say that you've, you've sort of achieved <laughs> um, your, your childhood ambition? Yeah, in, in somehow, some somehow, yes. We're saving trees. We're saving lives. We're saving the planet. So... Fast forward to Zarko. Mm. Look, whilst I was reading law, I actually started with Zenith College that was around the trade fair, but subsequently tra um, transferred to a private school in the um, Osu area called Empire, Empire Law School. So I was commuting from Fadama to the Empire School uh, campus all the time. And then, I mean, Empire is in Osu. From Dankwa Circle all the way to Papaya and even beyond, every junction there was somebody selling coconut, and there still is. These guys are all over the place. I mean, these guys are selling coconuts. They're generating. I think at a lot some of, point in Ghana's history, yeah, the <clears throat> that's the health and the medical industry did a good job. Yeah, are telling Ghanaians that it was good to exercise exactly. and eat fruits. So if you know, if you take all of our bridges, <laughs> foot bridges, every so, morning, yeah. keep the clubs, people are running up exactly. and down. And they're eating a lot of mangoes and pineapple. These yeah, days. I think they should keep so up. Along with that, that came the coconut thing you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. They should keep keep up with the education because it's providing us with raw materials. <laughs> <laughs> and then farming the coconut as well. Exactly, yeah. They're farming the Look, fruits. Having been doing Izako for some time, I've actually been asking myself why we never took coconut serious. Let me take you a step back. Yeah. Zako, yeah. how did you come by that name? So, honestly, I had already started producing what I was producing before I came up with a name. Right. Yeah. So, I'm extremely curious, right? So, I read about things that has nothing to do with my real background. Are you the kind of child? Mm. Or were you the kind of child that yeah. when they buy a toy gun for you, oh, yeah. instead of playing with it, you take it apart? I still do it. <laughs> I, there's this new technology for DJing called Face that it's mind-blowing how it works. The first time I got mine, I actually opened to see how it works. Like, it's witchcraft, mm. <laughs> how science works. So I still do all these things. And out of curiosity, with all these coconut guys selling so much coconut on the streets, I mean, subconsciously, I kept asking myself, wait, can't we do anything with this waste? What These guys are generating so much. What drew your attention to coconut? I don't even do you know. you like coconut? I'm not really a big fan, honestly. No. <laughs> I'm so not really a big coconut? fan. Like, it was just seeing curiosity, just seeing these guys on the Oxford Street on my way to class every day. Right. And just buying coconut and ask the guy, Charlie, what do you do with this thing? What do you... Where do you even dispose some, some of it? Some people fill potholes with them. Exactly. And these guys will all tell me, oh, they either push it to the beach or they pay waste companies to pick it up. Yeah. So for me, the idea initially was, okay, why don't I also get these tricycles, this Aboboya? Wherever these guys are charging them 10 cities, I may charge them 5 cities to bring me the coconut. But then what would I do with it? Because it's not anything I was really looking at. And then one day we went to buy a Kenke where I lived in Fadama. Mm -hmm. And we saw the Kenke seller. Shout out to all was, the other guys in Fadama <laughs> yeah. this afternoon. Your boys uh, on there. Yeah. Shout out to Sadiq. Yeah, the, to Sadiq. The three music guy. Okay. <laughs> He's a brother. So this Kenke seller, we realized she was um, actually cooking the Kenke with the coconut waste, the coconut husks. In the fire. In the fire. Made the fire instead, of, the waste. instead of firewood, this is what she was using. So for me, that was my eureka moment. Right. That was it. So 
instead of firewood, this woman is using this thing. And this is something I've actually been thinking of for some time. So, at instead this, of... At this point, you yeah. hadn't researched it. Nothing. You didn't know what the, the, I don't the impact have any, of nothing. the fumes was on the atmosphere. Nothing. But it was just creative that... Just curious. Instead of charcoal, they were using... Yeah, she was using this thing. Right. So, firewood basically is the raw material for charcoal. And this mm. woman is using coconuts. Does it mean we could use this same coconuts for charcoal? Mm. So, because I went to school in the north, and whilst I was in Wa, I actually worked with GBC Radio as a DJ. Mm -hmm. So, I knew a lot of the locals that were into the charcoal trade. I just engaged a few of them, and they asked me to come see how they do it. I went around and saw how it was done with a lot of smoke, fumes here and there. So, once I came back home to Fadama, I just wanted to experiment with the coconut mm -hmm. to see if it was going to work. We did the first trials. Uh, well, it did, it did turn out with a small tomato can, which really worked very well, but it was very small. So basically, you put in a lot of wood and then you get small charcoal because it shrinks and then chars itself into charcoal. So from this thing, tomato experience, and at the time I was on vacation, done with exams, so I had time. Mm. So this is what I wanted to use my time for. It worked from a tomato can, we moved to a bucket. So what exactly were you testing? I was just trying to test? make charcoal like I had seen in the north. Out of the husk. Out of the husk. So you would burn it, and then at some point it becomes charcoal. Charcoal. It becomes coconut husk now turned into charcoal, which worked perfectly. So now I have coconut husk that's charcoal. I gave it to my auntie to cook with it. It ran out so quickly. So I, there's this guy that lived directly opposite my house, and then he was so intrigued by what I was doing. Mm. Zach, very good, uh, very good guy. Zach came around and was so intrigued by what I was doing and said. Ah, this thing itself, what if we compress it? Instead mm. of just using it raw like that, mm -hmm. if we compress it, it could last longer. We didn't have any idea how to compress. So straight we went to one of these shops. I don't know if I can mention Malcolm. Yeah, we bought these ice cube molds. Mm -hmm. We mix these things with water and then we press them in the ice cube molds. We dried and then it comes out like ice cubes. So this instead of ice cubes, we have charcoal cubes. Now my auntie used them to cook, and this time it lasts much longer because of the compression. So it was denser than just using raw coconut um, charcoal. Now the result was it, is was out. It, was it producing a lot of smoke? No, it didn't produce <clears throat> any smoke at all. All right, and one thing she actually drew our attention to was that the under of her saucepan had not turned black, unlike. Mm. I mean, there was so no was black not, suit. Exactly. It was not creating suit. It wasn't creating that black suit compared to the other um, charcoal or wood material, um, woody materials out there. So she drew her attention to that and it really caught her attention. Like, yeah, Charlie, this, th this thing could be good. So just like that, I would just go DJ. At the time, I was still DJing with Foresight TV as the official DJ. So... Just go so DJ, DJ get small. It's not my I, lo I love do it. it. I still do it. I mean, I'll, I'll have a way with Lexus. I still do it. Yeah, I still do it. I do it major. So I go DJ, get some small money, come in, and then we'll go and buy some barrel just to bake more charcoal. Go back. So gradually, How are you storing it. It was just at home. Like I mean, we started in a very primitive, very manual way. Very manual. Like once we bend them into charcoal. We put it in sacks and then we hit it with sticks to kind of crush it to powder so we can mix with our hands and then put them in those ice cube modes. Very manual process. And I had not heard this thing being done anywhere in the world. For us, it was curiosity. Mm. And we're just experimenting and playing around. So what, when you crush them to powder, what happens? Yeah. You mix it with water? We mix it with water and then we push them into these 
ice cream. And when it starts to bend, it doesn't. It doesn't disintegrate. No, no, no. It just holds its shape and it holds its its heat, and it, it really stays for a much longer time. Mm. So I mean, fast forward, we are enjoying what we are doing so much. Now you are giving your school fees for the next academic year, and then I mean, you just. You need some barrel here, you don't have money. Okay, let me use some small handed CDs <laughs> from the fees and buy some barrel. Let have me you, use have you started to sell. No, no, no. no. I was just giving it out for people, neighbors to use for free. So for me, turning this whole thing into a business was based on users' feedback. How long did you give it out for free? For almost a year. And how long have you um, been, been um, for the business? How long has it been running? So. It's been running since 2016. That's a long time. Yeah, it's been running since 2016, and currently. We're in the seventh year now. Yeah, we currently we have quite a significant production capacity, probably one of the biggest on the continent. We'll come to that, but I suppose the learning point for me here is that yeah. it's important to build your network. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to give things out for free. Mm-hmm. He was just giving them out for free. It's the same story that Ipia yeah. Asante to for um, Asante to for shared yeah. with us here on the show when she started making bisap. She was yeah. making bisap for her family and you know people visitors who were coming in. Yeah. And at some point, somebody says you can commercialize this thing. Same thing you were doing. But yeah. you see, what that does is that it creates a network for you. Yeah. And then when you finally have created a dependency mm-hmm. amongst your network, when they've acquired the taste of the bisap or the convenience yeah. of the charcoal you produce, mm-hmm. now they can't do without it. Then you say, okay, I'm going to give you more charcoal, but now you have to give me a fee for it. <laughs> That's how you build your network. Yeah. So it's an advice to all of the people out there who are trying to start a business. When you start, don't immediately be looking for people to pay for it. Something has got to go, and at some point, it will come back to you in, in, yeah. in manifolds. Exactly. Impressive. Yeah. With my background from UDS, where... Basically, my course was based on research, community development, or development-related activities. I loved research, and with my curiosity to tell I, me about Zach, Zach. and in telling me about Zach, tell me about the structure mm. of the company when you decided to be formal about it. Okay, how you set it up? Yeah, who were the the partners? Okay, and what happened? Your first sort of funding? Where did it come from? Okay, first customers first steps, first seal. Okay. Let's just have a bit of insight into it. Okay. So, Zach was uh, just this guy who lived directly opposite my house and then he saw me gathering tomato cans and then barrels to burn charcoal. Is he still in your team, Zach? Yeah, he's still around. Okay, yeah. so good afternoon to you, Zach. <laughs> when we get interactive, if you're listening, we'd like for you to give us a call Yeah. and also tell us a bit of the story from your perspective yeah. as a co-founder. Exactly. Yeah. So, for, for me, my first source of funding actually came from my school fees. All right, because I had been given this money mm-hmm. and then I was still in the experimentation uh, phase. So let's go buy this barrel from Abu Bloshi. You drive around and then, oh, one is 150. Before I realize you've taken some 200 CDs, 300 CDs from your office, mm-hmm. I'll get it and put it back next time. So once more, before I realize who had reopened, fees had gone into experimentation to make this thing. People were using it for free now. They were asking for so much. And most of what I was, most of the people I was giving these things to were people already selling charcoal in Abeka, Fadama area. So I'll give it to them to use for free. They'll give me their feedback. Because I knew from the early stages that if anybody would listen to a lecture on charcoal, they would not want to hear that from me. They want mm. to hear from the woman that's been in the trade for years. Mm. Mm. So these people were the ones I dealt with. So when I first wanted to make a sale, 
they were the ones that requested for it. So I remember at the time. You know, it's another learning point right there. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to stop you. And yeah. Because I want us to pick the lessons as we are going along. Mm. You've made a very profound statement. Yeah. If anybody was going to listen to a lesson on charcoal, they were yeah. not going to listen to it from a no. newbie. No, from, they were going to listen to charcoal sellers. No. Same thing that um, there was there's someone who came on the show. Yeah. I think it was um, Lloyd who mm -hmm. said that when he decided to make yogurt, guess where he went? He said mm -hmm. he went to Nima to find out from the guys who make the local yogurt. Oh, okay. The lesson here is that whenever you want to do something, someone has done it before. There is no need to reinvent the wheel. Find out from those who are already doing it and there's one or two things they can show you and then you can put your innovation to it. Brilliant mm -hmm. stuff that you went to the charcoal sellers. Yeah. And once you plugged into them, they not only became your advisors and feedback, yeah. they also became part of your network. Exactly. And your stakeholders. Exactly. So Please there's continue. this woman that I will always appreciate, Antiata in Abeka. So is, I, she, is, she, is she still there? Yeah, she, she, yeah, she's still around. Okay, so Antiata in Abeka, if you're yeah. listening to us, Sule is on the show now. He's very <laughs> grateful for the help that yeah. you gave him. And today, he's doing wonders. She loved the product such that at the time we were putting them in, uh, I think we were the first to package charcoal and mm. put a brand name on it. At the time, we did not even have a name. So we put it in uh, brown paper bags mm -hmm. and we put some ribbons as, as handles for them mm -hmm. and take it to Antiata. Antiata told me, no, baby, I'm you know, your tone was high price we are in here. Your tone is here. And she gave us a lot of like <laughs> wisdom because she understood her people and we did it based on her advice. And, mm -hmm. It really turned out well. So eventually, you go to Antiata, then you see she has opened the bag. So when the customer comes, she's able to show them this is how it looks inside the bag. Now, you have normal charcoal where it's already put in this tomato can. So when you make a purchase, she now pours it into a plastic bag for, for mm -hmm. the customer. Mm -hmm. This is already packaged in a paper bag. So Antiata is saving on the plastic bag. Mm -hmm. Now she's not getting herself dirty mm -hmm. because now she doesn't need to bring down all the charcoal from the sack mm -hmm. to now put in the plastic bag. So it's easy for Antiata to sell our product than mm -hmm. even sell the local product. Mm -hmm. And she really helped us. So you go to her and she's already having like a whole forum telling mm -hmm. people about our product. And it grew with her. She also put us in touch with other charcoal sellers in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So we moved from one anteater to another anteater and several others. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a time while I was with Foresight TV, we were having a conversation. I don't know if Jay Foley and the guys around will remember where those days where they had this tavern 2131, we were having a chat and one of the graphic designers made a statement. A friend made a, a comment that there are no jobs. And one of the guys responded that, she, that really hit me. Mm. It really, really hit me. Like, wait, Yetombidi or ShopRite? I just left there, got on a trot trot street to ShopRite and asked around. And truly, truly, they had charcoal. They were importing charcoal for sale. When you were making charcoal, when I was making charcoal here in Fadama. And at a time when I was selling my charcoal for like one CD, two CD, ShopRite was selling charcoal for 60 CDs. Then we are up to something big. Of so course. eventually from ShopRite, we went to game, Marina Mall, and realized they are all importing these charcoal from all over the world and selling it at a much higher price. Then now the focus shifted. Like, we can really do this big, and there's a market out there. Then I started reading more about charcoal industry, reading about this whole biomass industry, reading about um, clean energy, 
the fumes from the normal way of burning charcoal to the advantages of what we had now reading researching watching videos on youtube and learning how other people were even doing it in asia and they were doing it so well mm -hmm. so now i got so much contacts in asia that i was even learning from mm. and i still i'm still in touch with most of these people so we're able to get a product that people really want at the very early stage even though we knew nothing about that industry what's the size of your operation how many people do you employ um currently currently we have about 20 people 20 people. yeah 20 people even though we have an automated system in Dodoa. Um, the, the, the Did you say automated is, system? Yeah, it's quite significant, yeah. yeah You've automated quite, the process now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, okay. Tell me I about think. your team first, then you tell me about automation. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, um, I got an uncle who I chased for over three years just mm -hmm. to get him to understand that this thing is actually a gold mine. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money to be made here. Besides all the environmental mm -hmm. features we're looking at, Let's put in some money. We can really make some gains here. Took him oh, oh, some years, but finally he came along and then we decided to grow with it. Because I would go to a lot of pitch events trying to tell like my story about what we have created. But then, I mean, we are in a fast-paced world where people would rather buy into technology ideas. Imagine somebody's pitching a whole fintech and then, I mean, shows up with charcoal. I mean, nobody sees the charcoal guy. The attention goes to the fintech guy. So that's how it's been. So I had to restructure my thinking, got family involved. Let us validate that this thing is actually doable. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we just built a better factory. I had a smaller one that I was able to build by getting some funding from um, the Ghana Climate Innovation Center, um, the Skills Development Fund, some guys from um, InnoHub. Um, so now people are pitching in? Yeah. So I. I was getting some piece of funding here and there, and that's what I built my like first major factory from home, like a proper factory in Dodoa. With, and then eventually we decided to scale up. When my uncle came in, we actually blew everything away. And technology has actually been a blessing for us. We've never spent a dime on marketing. So from the early days, curiosity days, we're just posting what we're doing online. People were really paying attention to it. Social media really helped us. And our biggest, biggest, biggest blessing has come from this guy called Wadamaya. Wadamaya. Wadamaya on YouTube. Mm. So just as elusive I have been with uh, <laughs> multimedia or other media platforms, Wadamaya actually came through. We actually wanted to do a video about our journey and our mm. processes. He's a YouTuber that I had also been following for some time. He came in. That was during the pandemic. Mm. And then Wodemaya did a video on our operations. And in the video, he said he needed his followers to buy 10,000 bags. To be very honest, in less than a week, we sold more than those 10,000 bags. No way. Yeah. And look, the kind of export market Wodemaya opened for us, I don't think any amount of money could pay for it. To date, we are still doing <coughs> most of the exports we do or about to do. It's all coming from what the so six video. years starting a new business and you're already exporting. Oh, we've been exporting like for the past two, three years. It's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It, it actually hasn't been as exciting as I'm trying to make it be. 
Look, there's been so many tears. <laughs> see, see, and, and I, I was going to go there. Let's talk about the challenges yeah. that you've been through. Because you see, six years and you're already exporting. Six years, you already have a factory. You know, it's not all been rosy. Yeah. It hasn't been rosy. Because, I mean, we spoke off air and I, and I yeah. know the story. It yeah. hasn't been rosy. At all. What were some of the challenges that you've, you know, in setting up along your way from where you were giving it for free, yeah. the first sale and all that? I'm really happy you're taking interest in the six years. Because, look... I've heard people speak about their businesses. Out of like my curious mind, I spend a lot of time reading about other people's businesses and how they grow. Looks like because we live in a fast food kind of world, we have fast food, fast fashion and everything being fast and instant for us, we kind of believe everything else should be fast or faster. And that's definitely not the case. Look, people go through a lot of challenges they don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's actually one of the reasons I actually agree to come this time <laughs> because to encourage somebody. so to encourage somebody look I, I don't want to focus more on the financials because i mean it's a cliche now everybody's mm -hmm. talking about funding look it's a reality but let's look at the other things mm -hmm. even building a team having people to believe in your idea your vision and after you've even had these people to build this business or company with how you even understand each other not everybody believes in that same vision you have. Somebody is just there to make a living, get paid and go home. Somebody is, there, somebody is also there to help you grow the business. Mm -hmm. And even with investment, somebody just wants to give you money because he wants returns. Another person wants to help you grow the business together. Mm -hmm. So look, trusting people, this is not to say we are even perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. even we've, I've doubted myself more than anything. Mm -hmm. I have cried in doing Zako. And it, look, I quit Zako, and the next day I'm back in the factory. Mm. Yeah, look, I'm trying to recall all the all the most painful challenges. There was Which this is the most in, painful in, in 2017. Yes, we had this customer from Lebanon. This is a year after you started. Yeah, this customer from Lebanon who wanted um, charcoal from us he came at the time we agreed on a good deal. Like, imagine us selling charcoal for five five CDs, and then somebody's bringing like ten thousand dollars deal. And huge. yeah, that was huge. It was like a big order to really make some money. And this wasn't going to be a one-time thing. We we like we killed ourselves to get this order done. And in the process, we decided, Charlie, this particular night, that was the last night to com like complete the order. This particular night, we are not even coming home. Mm -hmm. We'll stay in the bush in Dodoa. So around 10 p.m., myself and the boys said, Charlie, we are hungry. Let's go to town, get some food, and then come back. We'll sleep in the car. We went, everything was okay. We went to the town, got some Indomie. On our way back, we saw the entire place was like lit up, red. Mm. The charcoal were burning, actually. I don't know how it got out of hand. Everything was on fire, and this fire had entered the factory. It was even into other people's farms. No! <laughs> and we could see it from the main road. So quickly, we had to turn back, drive back to Dodoa, and call fire service to come. And when fire service comes in, you, you don't even get fire permits. You don't even get this, you don't get that, you don't get that. Now the factory had to shut down for like a long time to make sure we get all these things fixed. Oh, that must have been painful. Yes. Customer comes the next day and your entire factory is down. That's just one of those small ones. And then there was Do this... Do you ever think <laughs> that yeah. it didn't happen by itself? 